freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. And Brooke Wire, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. Good morning. Happy Thursday. Lot to talk about. The NFL season begins tonight. Caught more off guard. Caught all of us off guard. But yes, uh, there's an NFL game tonight. There's also a Mariners series happening. They go right into the series against the confusingly named Los Angeles Angels, but they are in Anaheim. So a lot to get to. Mike Lefko here with you. Justin got me fired up just seconds before the show. So now I'm rolling. I, I'm going to roll through that. the six o'clock hour because Justin got me worked up, ready to go. Justin brought up something that had to be countered <laughs> and parried back because it's a, it's a popular refrain. And I think Brock's talked about it before. A lot of yeah, people yes. have talked about it. So when he gets on, I'll get him going and then it'll get me going. But uh, for those not watching on the video stream, oh, there it is. Look, But if you're not, uh, I'm wearing... My prized Houston Oilers slash Tennessee Oilers slash Tennessee Titans throwback Oilers hat that I was very proud to get. And then, Justin, what did you say right when I walked in? I was like, oh, you're okay with the Tennessee Titans stealing the Houston logo and using it as a throwback. And wow. you said? I said, well, it's Tennessee's. <laughs> and they're getting punished because they were wise enough to change that name. They were also, by the way, the Tennessee Oilers for a year. So it is their logo. It is their stuff. To get. And the only reason that people are mad is because they were smart to realize there's no oil in Tennessee. So they got rid of the nickname. They still kept it. It is, I will say, those are sick throwbacks. Thank like, you. They, they do look really good. They're great. That's the best thing the NFL's done this offseason, right? No Between doubt. the Seahawks and the Eagles and the Tennessee Titans. And I don't know, there's been all of them have just come out and look good. I forgot. There's another one I think people have loved, right? Is it around here? Around where? Are <laughs> you talking about the Seattle throwback? No, no. The, there's another team, the, another NFL team that came out with them this offseason. But uh, I think consensus was the Seahawks and the Eagles and, and the Titans brought them back. And they all, oh, the Bucks with the creamsicle. Yeah. Yes. The yes. Yeah. The nostalgia yeah. hit hard. So uh, throwbacks have been the story of the NFL offseason. There's actual NFL football today. And then it kind of hit me. Oh, the Seahawks play one week from tonight. First preseason game in a week. So we'll get into that. There's a lot to talk about. Uh, Trey Brown's going to join us at 7.30. Brock will uh, wake up and join us at 7. And then Mariners President of Baseball Operations, Jerry Depoto at 8.30. Now, the two of them did tape that yesterday. So Salk, right after the show, before he left, he and Brock did tape that. So when you hear his voice, that's why. He's not here today, but Salk and Brock recorded with Jerry Depoto yesterday. You will hear them at 8.30. But guys, uh, the Mariners... They just keep winning. They just keep winning series. <laughs> Plural of series is series. But yeah, they just keep winning since the All-Star break, since that mishap against Detroit. And all of a sudden, here the Mariners are, despite a trade deadline that left uh, a lot frustrated, despite falling way back in the wild card race and now clawing back into a little bit of contention. And they keep finding ways to win those decisive rubber games. There's a lot to take away from that series, but I think the most encouraging thing is that they can find a way to win that winner-take-all game for the series. They weren't doing that in the first half of the season, especially against at good all. teams. Not at all. They would their their record in rubber games, even just like a month ago, was, it was like three and eight. It was something atrocious. And now, back-to-back series, they lose that second game and they come back and they win. 
How many times in the first half did we see it? Against Boston in the first half, earlier in May. They won that first game decisively. Lost in the second game, got killed in the third game against the Red Sox. Same thing, what could have been a huge series win against the Orioles earlier this year. They win the first game. They lose a close, heartbreaking one in the Saturday game, and then... They lose the Sunday. But here, against the Diamondbacks, same kind of situation. They lost a tough game. They had the tying run uh, on third on that Saturday loss. They come back. They win on Sunday. Yesterday, against the Red Sox, they fall behind 3 nothing. They rally after the six. They don't do that. They don't rally after the six. Boston doesn't give up those leads. We were all over this. You guys all mentioned it. And uh, I think it was kind of the story of the game that the Red Sox were 43-2 and when leading after the sixth inning. That's pretty impressive. That's uh, almost unbeatable. And yes, you can find arbitrary stats of, okay, well, after the sixth, they're this. And after the seventh, they're this. But it became pretty key because literally in the inning after the sixth, there were the Mariners, four runs in that seventh, taking advantage of opportunities, a little mishap where two Red Sox defenders collide into each other, a great play call there with the first and third. You put the double steal on. So just making things happen to take advantage and get that big inning. And it was extremely encouraging considering that you saw them not do that. The game, the game before literally could not score with the bases loaded. You got one run, you left the bases loaded, didn't score, came back to hurt you lost in that game too. Yesterday you get the big inning, something they've struggled with. The Mariners were only eight and 38 when they were trailing after the six, they come back, they get the win, they lock it down. They get a series win. And I don't want to say just just win every series, and that's all you have to do. But that's what they've done. True. And the rest of the way, I mean, Brandon Gustafson tweeted this last night from a strength of schedule standpoint. Like, looks pretty favorable, but we've seen that not always. Uh, well, not always. We've seen that not translate into actual reality and results over the past. But it, it is setting itself up for the Mariners to give themselves a chance by winning these really tough series. Another reason why it was key to do that against the team that was directly in front of you. You know, that's a two-game swing if you're not winning. So the Red Sox right up there in front. Now, all of a sudden, the Mariners take that series. They're a game and a half behind them. And you still have a little more work to do to get to that final wild card spot. But the the Blue Jays, uh, John Morosi was on Wyman and Bob yesterday, talked a couple of things about why he's fairly confident the Mariners can overtake the Blue Jays because Toronto's dealing uh, with a rash of injuries. And the Mariners just picked up a series over the Blue Jays to tie up that season series. So it would come down to a tiebreaker instead of losing out on that tiebreaker to the Blue Jays. It would come down to a divisional tiebreaker. But they have played good baseball in this second half, and they've given themselves an opportunity with that uh, big stretch coming up after this Angel series of Royals and Royals and White Sox and A's and all of these teams before a pretty pivotal and deciding stretch at the end of the year where you finish with, what, 10 games against the Rangers and Astros? So that's uh, that's absolutely key, and it's incredibly encouraging because they weren't doing this in the first half of the season. We kept waiting, right? We kept waiting for them. First of all, we kept waiting for them to beat a good team. They hadn't beaten a team with a winning record. I remember coming on here with you guys, what, like a month ago, and they only had uh, series wins against then the Pirates and the Astros, who had winning records. Well, now you look at this, and they're beating the Blue Jays. They're beating the Red Sox. They, they beat the Twins. So they've done all the, and the Diamondbacks. I mean, we don't think about them as much because they're in the National League, but teams with winning records have not phased the Mariners, and now they are entering that easy stretch, which, you know what? It kind of tripped them up last year in this yeah, very stage, the, yeah. the teams with the sub-500 records. But this season, they have done most of their work against teams under 500. 
Luck gives you the encouragement that they can keep that up. And that was sustaining them in the early part of the season. The series win uh, against the Cardinals, the sweep over the Rockies, sweeps, the sweeps over the A's. Yeah, Thank you, A's, for just giving the Mariners seven games there earlier in the season. So that's why I'm pretty encouraged that uh, this team is going to be in the thick of it, especially when you see your core starting to produce. And I think that's what the overarching frustration of the season, in addition to maybe not making the moves in the offseason that you wanted, was that your key guys were not contributing. Julio was not doing what was expected. Eugenio Suarez was not coming through with that big power bat in the middle of the lineup. And now all of a sudden, Suarez, eight-game RBI streak, longest streak in the majors, longest active streak in the majors, tied for the longest this season for driving in runs in a game. And Julio just keeps getting on base. He's been on base 27 straight times. He has an 11-game hit streak, and he came through in another big situation where, hey, that's been the knock on him this year. Comes up in key situations, strikes out, doesn't deliver, you know, grounds into a double play, whatever. Well, that was the biggest situation of the game yesterday. Came through, drove in a run, gave the Mariners the lead. They added on to that, and uh, it was it was good to see. So we'll get into that uh, a little bit later. We'll certainly dive into that more when uh, Brock joins us. Jerry DePoto will pop on with the guys as well. So they recorded that interview yesterday. And I do want to do want to get into the quick irony of that before we go to break here. That isn't it kind of the running joke that the Mariners always lose on Wednesday because yeah. then Jerry has to come on and, and tape with with we, Mike we and with Brock. Last time that it had happened because they had just won last week on Wednesday. The previous Wednesday was in May. Oh. So it's been a while. So as and he joked about moving the day, right? So we, we, he did it a different day, and it I and know. worked out. And that's honestly that's the first thing that came to my mind after that inning finished. After the seventh inning finished, and the Mariners were comfortably in the lead, I kind of turned to the people in our sports pit. I go, "Huh, that's some irony that the guys taped with Jerry before this win happened, before the whole series shifted in tenor, when the Mariners were coming off a loss the day before." And the uh, the bad luck continues there with those interviews. But, yeah, it's a, it's a series win, so a little better situation for the Mariners. And uh, we have a lot to get to with that. We have a lot of Seahawks to get into. Trey Brown's going to join us. Love talking to him. He has been on a couple of times on our station, and he is a fantastic interview. So excited to catch up with Trey Brown at 730. And we're going to have a good show. We're going to have a good Thursday. A lot happening on this Thursday. And coming up next, though, kind of have to put a... A negative turn on this because the Pac-12 is in dire straits. That's uh, what you need to know up next. This is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. Mariners fell behind 3 to nothing yesterday. Rallied with two runs in the sixth. Cal Raleigh just continues to punish the Red Sox. And then four in the seventh for a series-clinching 6-3 win over Boston. Mariners now 56-52 and on the season. How about the night for Julio? Extended his hit streak to a career-best 11 straight games. And his on-base streak to 27 straight. The go-ahead RBI in the seventh. He also stole home on a perfectly executed double steal with runners at the corners. 2-2. Gino takes off. It's low in the dirt. And Gino stops halfway. Here comes Julio home. Here's the throw. He is safe at home. Julio stole home. The Mariners add on another run in the most dramatic of ways. It's 6-3 Mariners in the bottom of the seventh. I have a little bit of uh, contention with that. uh, Calling it a steal. 
We can get into that in a second. Let's let's hear Scott's service. I don't think he refers to it as a steal when uh, Julio reached home. Yeah, I think you know it's the first and third play. It's something that uh, we've talked about here recently. Um, it's something that we could put in play. It has to be the right combo of runners, and we had Julio at third, which is definitely uh, one of the right guys to have out there. And Gino's pretty heads up base runner. And he was looking for a stolen base. So the combination was right. Uh, we executed it, pick up a big run in the game, and credit to our guys. They're paying attention, they're getting the signs, they're looking for opportunities like that. So when you put it on, you know, they executed it perfectly. All right, that's more in jest because, yes, technically it does, goes down as a steal. I mean, officially it does go down as a steal. Julio got a stolen base. I just think there needs to be a little bit more of a distinction between a straight steal of home. That's a truly dramatic, exciting play and a play that you see drawn up uh, a lot of times in Little League Baseball. But takes a lot more execution and takes a lot of work to get that going. And Eugenio Suarez details kind of how they knew they were going to pull it off. Uh, to be honest, we've been talking about that for a long time ago. I've been telling uh, uh, our first base coach, Chris Negron, that, that that was I want to do that. And uh, a couple of days ago, I talked to Escape about it, and we talked in the media about that. And um, and I think that was the perfect timing. You know, with Julio and Terry, I know uh, we got a guy who throws sinkers, and uh, that timing was great. You know, he got a big uh, leg keep, and uh, I got that, that, that timing. That was perfect, I think. Yeah, it all came together. You do need that speed on third. You need a guy who, as Suarez said, throws a low ball, and you need someone who makes the good play by stopping halfway to the base. So beautiful play caps off uh, a nice seventh inning, and the Mariners get the win. Big stretch continues with four in Anaheim starting tonight at 638. Brian Wu's on the mound for the Mariners, and a guy named Shohei Otani pitches for the Angels. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, unfortunately, sounds like the buzzards are circling for the Pac-12 and what could be potentially the final days for the conference. Yahoo Sports' Ross Dellinger released details of the Arizona Board of Regents meeting that's been called for 6 o'clock tonight. It includes the agenda item that says here, quote, possible legal advice and discussion regarding university athletics. Hmm. Sounds uh, ominous. And ESPN's Paul Feinbaum has some advice for Arizona, Arizona State, and Utah. You're going to go to a college president when he has a good deal over here and say, hey, listen, uh, Dr. President of Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, be patient. If we can get enough people to sign up on Apple, then we are going to be great. (laughs) Well, the bottom line is this, guys. Nobody's signing up on Apple to watch the Pac-12 because there's nothing to watch once you lose Colorado. UCLA and USC. I mean, I, I don't want to be a, be the guy that keeps bearing this league because I think I did it the other day, but I'm going to keep doing it. Uh, somebody needs to shovel dirt on this league and end this charade. It's over for the Pac-12. And if, and if these three don't get out of there, they're going down with the ship. Yeah, you'll hear Colin Cowherd with uh, Brock and Salk detail this a little bit more coming up at 6.30. But then Yahoo Sports' Dan Wetzel, and Yahoo's been all over this story, uh, he reported that the Big Ten has begun exploratory discussions about expanding to 18 or possibly even 20 teams. And Wetzel says in his piece that if they go to 18, they're looking at Oregon and Washington. If they go to 20, it would be those two plus Stanford and Cal. So uh, a lot of rumors, a lot of people circling around and trying to pick through what could be uh, a conference conference apart or being resilient in the face of all this adversity here's the third thing you need to know yeah it's uh, august 3rd but there's real live nfl tonight it is the nfl hall of fame game jets and browns from canton now this is uh this is gonna be the first of four preseason games for these two teams because they have this extra special game so 
You're not going to see anyone of consequence. There will be no Aaron Rodgers out there. Get a chance to see Zach Wilson. Everyone's excited for that. So he'll get his reps probably. But yeah, Jets and Browns tonight uh, from Canton. That also means, perhaps more excitedly out here, that the Seahawks' first preseason game kicks off in a week. A week from tonight, 7 o'clock kickoff against the Vikings. So that is rapidly hurtling towards us the start of the NFL season. And with the Hall of Fame game, it also means that the... uh, Hall of Fame induction is this weekend. It's starting to see some guys that are pretty familiar to at least, uh, I know, us and maybe people that now we grew up with are starting to get into Hall of Fame status. Kind of Island a, is going in. Yeah, kind of a resounding like, oh, they've already been out of the league that long. Uh, guys like Zach Thomas and Joe Thomas, Rondé Barber, Demarcus Ware. So it's... Uh, It's names that are pretty familiar over the last few seasons, and uh, that's the start of the NFL season. Now, another thing that we'll get into a little bit more throughout the show, because I think Brock wants to touch on it, and Justin brought this up, that the NFL is considering adopting the XFL's kickoff rule. And they always bring up proposals, and they vote on things, and it wouldn't be this season, obviously, this late towards the start of the year, but that would mean that kickoffs drastically change in the NFL. And there's been talk for a while about trying to cut down on the, the long ramp up and how dangerous that play is. So it's something that could be looked at. The NFL is thinking about doing the XFL kickoff rule where you know, if we're used to, you know, if you guys did watch the Sea Dragons, that everyone is down on the other side of the field. You have the kicker lined up back at their own 35 and then all the way on the opposite, what, like 30 yard line or 35 yard line is the kicking team and then the receiving team lined up five yards apart. So it really takes up that big ramp up, takes out the collisions, and it uh, it looks different. It certainly looks strange, but it's a it's a way to kind of cut down on the dangerous ramp up play. So the NFL is considering that, but nothing coming imminently. But it's something we can discuss, and I'm sure people will hate it. Some people will like it, and some will be indifferent. But uh, that's a thing that's happening. So yeah, the NFL is upon us, and it is happening. But yeah, more uh, more on that Pac-12. We got to get into that a little bit more. We'll talk about it with Brock in, in Blue 88, but. Brock and Salk talk to Colin Cowherd uh, about the league, about everything happening in sports. And you'll hear that next. This is Brock and Salk show on Seattle sports and the Seattle sports app. You're listening to Brock and Salk powered through the Alaska Airlines studio, on Seattle sports and the Seattle sports app. Colin Cowherd is going to join us here in just a moment. I'm sorry. I'm fighting off G. Scott. He's in here incessantly. I can't get rid of the man. And I know he's a little (laughs) bummed out. I'm going to be out on vacation on Friday. So he doesn't get to come in and torture all of us by giving the people what they want. So I I apologize. I wanted to read this at the end of need to know, but we didn't have time here. And maybe people can, you can update later if Colin calls in here in the next five seconds. But 509 wants to know, any Bob Stilton sightings coming in to give you all some mall karate over those pretzels? <laughs> He's going to be in the building so today. Those guys, so, here, so let me tell you, those guys are going to be in the building today, right? There's going to be and no... You better have brought a bag today. I don't have one yet. Okay. But I, I'm going to play golf this afternoon. I think I'm going to go over to Willow's Run. And on my... Wait, is there a Fred Meyer or something over there? There's yeah, got to be there something. I know there's a Costco somewhere over there. Sheesh. I think I just got to go grab them some bags. Yes. How many bags are appropriate to make up for my unforgivable sin of eating pretzels that were left in the freaking studio. Why not go above and beyond and for yep. $6 you can get all three of them probably yep. a bag. Is that yeah. a, no, dude, those bags? Six extra dollars is what oh, I mean. Oh, okay, yeah, because yeah. those bags are like <laughs> probably $6, $7 a piece. Probably. Yep. 
This is going to be like a $20 thing that okay. I ate of like three pretzels. We'll take that bag with you uh, then today. Take it to Willow's. Take that right. one. I just take, take it with, with me because Bob's yes. certainly not going to eat it. No, a lot you. of people upset with you, Brock. Solomon was David's son. Salk is right, Brock. How oh, dare you make me defend Salk? I'm sorry. Solomon was David's son. Come on, Brock. Salk is definitely schooling you on the Bible this time. Yeah. That's, yeah. What, that's what it's come to? Yeah, that, that's where you're at at this point in your life. We had a good conversation for those on the text wondering about our five minute break right there. A really good conversation about Old Testament. That was really fun. Yeah. You never know where things are going to yep. go. Uh, Colin Cowherd joins us right now. Some Sorry songs. about the intro, Colin. This is just kind of where the morning has taken us. Apologize for that. That That's where mornings take you sometimes in August. I yes. get it. Yeah, sometimes you end up talking about Solomon and David and the Bible. And... Sure, I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I think it was the Pac-9 that got us into that conversation. I'm not mm. sure how it ended up there, but we got a bunch of things to talk to you about today. But I think we got to sure. start there because it's such a mess. What in the world is going on with this conference? Well, I always thought the play for the Pac-12 was to go to Apple. I thought it sort of shared a progressive sort of West Coast feel. A lot of Pac-12 graduates, USC, Washington, Stanford, Cal, uh, work at Apple. Uh, I always felt Apple feels like the West Coast. It, it's a clear West Coast company. And uh, like Travelers is East. You know, there are certain insurance companies, they feel East. Apple feels West Coast. I would have signed up with them a year ago. People worry that you're on a streaming outlet, nobody will watch you. But that's not true because postseason football December, you would be on the major networks for bowl games. And preseason, you know, Washington plays Michigan, USC plays Notre Dame, you'd be on the big networks. Then you'd have a few regular season games sprinkled in um, that would be on the big networks. But, you know, streaming's the future. You take a hit in terms of uh, profile for several years, but the Big Ten and the SEC dominate profile anywhere. Even when USC was winning national championships for Washington, it was a fight and a struggle to get respect out West. I thought they should have signed with Apple. It feels like the conference. Um, you'd still, get, you know, you'd still get talked about. You'd still have a Heisman winner. You'd still have early. You know, my theory is if a movie is good early and late, you can butcher the middle a little. There's no bad movies ever that have a great 12 minute open and a 16 minute great close. Like, like Usual Suspects is an average movie with a great, great open and close. I always thought it was it was already about like a B, but it was great because the way it finishes. Go to Apple, finish the season strong. Nobody's going to care. In 10 years, everybody will be on streaming. Mm, but you can't do it as a standalone. To Why me, not? To me, Colin, it would have been a great add-on. It would have been a terrific, hey, let's be creative. You want to talk about West Coast? Go outside the box. Be a little bit creative. They tried that with Larry Scott, outside the box hire, total flop, total disaster, presidents, boards, regents, all of it, total meltdown. And George is digging himself out. I think you have to be outside the box creative. I think you've got to play on Fridays. You want to talk about the West Coast anyway. The West Coast with high school football is not what the South in the Rust Belt and anywhere else is. So, you you know, go to ESPN. Go to our company. Go and say, okay, here you go. It's yours. Where, where do you want us? You want to rebrand something? You want to make something in, in this day and age where it's hard to do to make a whole new brand like we did with the Big Noon Kickoff? Well, let's. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do it, and then adjunct to that, we will have a streaming. We will have Apple. We will do that. I think the presidents in the in the 80s would have bought that, but Apple standalone after the scars of their subscription model that just happened and and fell flat on its face. I don't know if they can go down that road, Colin. Yeah, I don't know if they have any choices. 
Uh, I mean, I know here at Fox, we, we could have chosen the Pac-12 or Big 12, and we chose Big 12, and which is remarkable because the teams are in, like, Lubbock and Stillwater, and the Pac-12's got L.A., San Francisco, Seattle, Phoenix, Salt Lake City. So it's it's got a it's got a leadership void, um, but Lubbock and Stillwater yeah. care. Ames cares. Yeah, if you traveled yeah. with me, Colin, and you went to, oh, I don't know, Cal Berkeley and Palo Alto and Tempe, and and then you went with me to Lubbock and Ames and Stillwater. Guess what? Different Those pictures. markets they care. They're, the voice cares. The noise cares. The audience cares. The stadium rocks. Those places care. West Coast doesn't care. Yeah, I mean, to, well, that's that why USC. Degree. That's why USC is going to the Big Ten. I mean, they've yeah. been talking about. They've been. T- I got a call from their athletic director about a year ago before it was announced, and he called me, Mike Bone, at the time, and he called and he said, "Well, what, what would you do?" He said, "We signed Lincoln Riley, and we only got about three thousand season tickets." And, he, and I said, "This is a. It's a pro sports market." I said, "So they only care about USC football if they're winning." I said, so you get the right coach. They did, Lincoln Riley. I said, you're set there. Your recruiting will get going. I said, what I would do is bring two Big Ten teams in a year. And I said, I'd go to Michigan and Ohio State or Penn State every year. I'd invite them back. I said, cold weather, northern teams, bring them in out of conference. They'll sell the stadium uh, out. And then, you know, then you have Washington, Oregon, UCLA. You can sell the stadium out. But the truth is, USC thought about going independent four years ago and was talking about the Big Ten three years ago. So this was inevitable. What would you do, Colin, if you were the athletic directors at Washington and Oregon? Because, you know, Wazoo and Oregon State, they are unfortunately in those markets like Lubbock and Ames that you mentioned. And independent, obviously, independent on the other in-state schools. Right. right? And, and then Cal and, and Stanford, I, I don't know if they even really care too much about what happens here. But if you're Oregon and Washington and you're the ADs there, what do you do now? I would call the Big Ten and say we'll take 50% of the payout everybody else gets if we can join the conference. Um, and so that's still greater than the Pac-12. I think the Big Ten would like Seattle and Washington and like Phil Knight and Oregon's money. They don't want to give them one of the payouts because, as you guys know, that's the, that's the why USC and UCLA join. They're going to get a $70 million check every year <laughs> or 90 So if you go to Washington, you know, the AD says, hey, listen, we'll go. We'll take half the payout. We'll figure out stuff in our market to make it work. But what we don't want to do is have a schedule full of Boise states um, and Utah states. So, because Washington, you know, you can, if you have big games on the schedule and Washington wins eight to nine a year, you don't have to win national championships. It's a loyal fan base. It's a hearty economy. You know, you're fine there. Montlake's beautiful, one of the best stadiums in the country. What you want to be is relevant. The Husky fans deserve relevance. And, and when you give them that, those big games, they don't have to win all of them. It's not Alabama or Ohio State. You win two out of three. I would say, you know, give me four, give me, give me seven games. I would just work a deal to get into the Big Ten and figure out the finances later. Uh, half a deal with Washington, with the Big Ten, is, is the equivalent of a full payout from the Pac-12. Go for it. He is Colin Cowherd. You know that voice. Uh, Colin, personal question here, if you wouldn't mind. Yeah. In your illustrious decades and decades-long career, who would you say are a few folks that maybe you've been the hardest on who have totally turned it, whose success on the field and maybe you thought, ah, never going to happen, right? And, and I don't know if Pete Carroll falls in that with, you know, just kind of tired and old and done. And then last year what they did, totally rewriting the script. So I, I don't want to lead the witness here. You just but did. It, but is there a couple that over the course of your career, and, and if so, where would Pete kind of fit into that? 
Well, I always, first of all, I'm not anti-Pete. He's a Hall of Famer. So he's in the Jimmy, Jan, Jimmy Johnson mold. Great personnel guy, college rock star, NFL rock star. So he may not have the cowboy uh, prestige or gravitas, but Pete's a Hall of Famer. To me, he's one of the 10 best football coaches in the last 25 years. I'm not anti-Pete. I did think... Uh, like we are seeing with Tomlin, can't get the O-line right. Sean McDermott can't get the O-line right. Belichick hires a D.C. as O.C. I thought Pete was a little tone deaf, a little run-centric with Russell in the last two or three years. I, I wasn't anti-Pete. I thought he was tone deaf. Uh, by the way, you're, you've seen a pivot by the league to offensive coaches. It's virtually impossible if you have a good quarterback and an offensive coach who's competent. Zach Taylor, it's hard not to win a lot of games. So I thought Pete culturally was a tad tone deaf, but his energy, his brain power, his experience, uh, his ability. I mean, Greg Olson told me all the coaches he's had all through his life, Pete was the most organized, detailed, best meetings, best energy he's ever seen. So I'm not anti-Pete. I thought there was a two or three year period. He just culturally, and by the way, Belichick's just completely tone deaf now with offense. So I think Pete has pivoted, which I give him and Nick Saban and a lot of these defensive guys as the world's pivoted around them in football. They have smartly pivoted. So I'm not anti-Pete, but I'd probably put that on the list. Let me think of an athlete that I was really uh, down on. Um, uh, I, yeah, I actually think Odell Beckham is not – the pain in the butt people view him as. I think Baker Mayfield struggles to get along with other stars. And I think, you know, he got ahead of himself. He's a young kid in New York, good looking, women loved him, models. Uh, I think Odell Beckham still has real value. I thought he was great for the Rams. And in L.A., disappeared. Yeah. Nobody saw him. Well, I think he'll be great take. for the Ravens. That's a good take. I, yeah, I thought he was – I thought if you go to LSU – I told him this once. He FaceTimed me. I said, if you go to the Giants' early years with stability, LSU, the Rams, and even Cleveland, he's never been a problem. He got sideways for about three years in New York as he became the biggest star in town because the Knicks stunk, the Yankees were underachieving, the Giants were the talk, and Beckham was a star. Well, he was like 25 years old. Who who doesn't get over their skis at 25 and you're dating supermodels? So I think, by and large, OBJ is actually a very good player. little brittle, but a very good player, not a bad guy. All right, Colin, since we you're have you for a few minutes, and as you the said, best. it's August, uh, I, can we play a little look into the future game with you because sure, i love sure, i sure. love when you try to look into the future in sure. five years there's a there's a couple of questions about what the world will look like in five years who's the next commissioner of the nfl well goodell's really good uh in shape pretty dynamic owners love him uh i would say he's still the commissioner um uh who would be who would be on a short list there's probably a governor somewhere in the northeast um, but that type of person. Yeah, that, yeah, I, I could see a governor doing it. I think Goodell's going to do it for a while. Same with Adam Silver. Uh, I think those commissioner jobs remind me in the 1980s of late-night talk shows. If you got it, it was your last job. Like, if you got the Carson Leto Letterman chair, that was it, right? Like, you didn't you – know, we're all – Jimmy Kimmel was doing sports radio. He was doing this. You get the late-night job. You can tell your agent, just negotiate deals. Don't look for work. So I think once you become a commissioner, most guys stay forever. I mean, David Stern could have could – 
kept doing it, but Silver was so competent and liked within the league offices, he took it over. But um, my bigger question is, can we get somebody running for president that's not going to be in their 80s? That's, that's <laughs> Seems unlikely. God. Oh, my Lord. I don't vote for anybody who's just <laughs> – just, just <laughs> capable of being, you know, walking upstairs and downstairs without, you know, tripping. What uh, would you like? It's one brutal. of those Carson Letterman Leno chairs? Is that a job you would want? Oh God, no, no. Really? I found my, you know, you know, you can't, you don't get to I talk know. enough. I, I know what I'm good at. I know what I'm not. I'm a talk show host, all right. and that's all I do. And then, I mean, Brock, you can laugh. Am I wrong? I mean, we're getting to a point now. They're serving Jello. To people in the White House or running for it. I mean, that's all we have: noodles and Jello. There's no hard foods. It's horrible. What happened, <laughs> Colin? This is this is still an ESPN station. You know, we're, we're apolitical here. You got to remember that. Even and though, term limits on senators too, because it's not yeah, just the presidents. Just, I mean, does oh. anybody in their 30s want to run? Our choices no, of course are they cool. don't. They want to make money. Why in the world would anybody uh, smart want to get into that business? Okay, crystal ball. Right, crystal. I got another crystal ball okay. question for you, Colin. You're hogging in them. five years, how involved are the Saudis in U.S. sports? Well, I think basketball is global. Soccer and basketball are global sports. Um, and so I think those they'll be involved like golf. Golf's global. And the Saudis have been in the, you know, the British tour, as you guys know. They've been involved with the British tour forever. So, I mean, people overreacted to that whole thing. It's like well, the PGA was a charity. They don't even run the Masters of the U.S. Open. They don't run the British Open. Like, why? It's not like NASCAR where there's a brand and they run all their big races. Like, who cares what the PGA does? So soccer and basketball and golf, the Saudis will have huge influence. I, I don't think, you know, Major League Baseball is domestic. NFL, NHL are domestic. Uh, I, I don't see them college sports domestic. I don't, I don't see them having a big footprint. But if I was the NBA, you know, I'd buy a piece of the MLS, the NBA, and, and do what I do with the Live Golf Tour. I, 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 I try not to be too precious on this stuff. Sports are all run by money. And I know, you know, the Saudis has been in business with our government forever. I'm very aware of the downside to it, but I, it's just, it's oil money. And, you know, the company I used to work at ESPN at one point was owned by Getty Oil. Like, I get it. Like, everybody globally is in business with the Saudis. So I think basketball is, I, I wouldn't even say vulnerable. Basketball, golf, and soccer in America, they'll go after. Uh, Colin, you got to run. Salko always gets mad when I let guests go, but you've got to run. You've got a show to do. I, last... I just want to co-host a show with Colin. So, yeah, yeah. no, I, you're last, right on Last that. quick crystal ball so you can get out of here and get to your show. Do the Seahawks make the playoffs this year? They're, they're the team that I'm really struggling with because um, I think we're selling our star. I think this is the best Dallas team in a long time. I don't think they're better than San Francisco, so it's a wild card team. Um their Dallas probably has their best team in years. Don't love their coach. Uh, and Minnesota's being, I mean, they won 13 games last year. They're not going to eight. Like, they're undervalued. So, And that division's wonky. So uh, Seattle's kind of my, I kind of feel this way about the Denver Broncos. They'll be the last team out in the AFC. And Seattle will be on the line week 16, 17. If they can beat teams like, you know, at the end of their schedule, Arizona's bad. Rams are in a semi-rebuild. Um, I think they're on the line. I think I think in the AFC, no, in the NFC, they're on the line. That's spectacular. Fifteen minutes Gosh, of radio, so good. Colin, you give good guests. We yeah. appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. <laughs> Thanks for entertaining everybody for yeah. a few minutes. And of course, you can always watch and listen to Colin all over Fox. We appreciate it, man. Thank you. Love Seattle. Thanks, man.
Yeah, always a great conversation when Colin Cowherd comes on. Uh, for better or worse, he will say things that will did, hook you in. It'll, you it'll grab to you. Keep track. Like I wanted to count how many times he said, "I'm not anti-Pete." I'm not anti-Pete. I just thought this. I'm not anti-Pete. I just thought this. Oh, you were a little anti-Pete. Just, I, just own it. I When you said that, I was going to start paying attention, and then I kind of drifted off into other things. But <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it's definitely perceived that he is anti-Pete. I think that's why he felt the need to keep saying, oh, I'm not anti-Pete, but... He's a 70-year-old defensive coach. That is so? not going to age well, where he came out uh, vehemently against Pete Carroll and basically just, you know, he... Stood behind Russell Wilson, yeah. even though he did, a, he, he tried to not say that in so many words, but it was pretty clear that he was getting his info from a source close to Russell Wilson, and it came <laughs> down on the line of yeah being anti Pete, and the Seahawks had a great season. He kept going on that, and uh, yes, I think it's been clear at times that Colin Cowherd has not been on the side of Pete Carroll, and he mentioned that there about. Pete Carroll adjusting and now even saying what Bill Belichick's a dinosaur that he doesn't know how to coach offense anymore. So it's uh, I don't know. He's he's got opinions, right? He's paid to have opinions that will be inflammatory. But uh, I think as a national host, you're not as tuned in as much as local happenings. So I get that some things he say maybe don't track as much here. State of the Pac-12. Sure. He's got a good overarching sense on that. But Seahawks things, yeah. I mean, well, yeah. The national national perspective was definitely like, why aren't you letting Russell throw more? Right. I think most people outside of Seattle bought into that. Absolutely. I mean, he's he's always entertaining, and it it veered into that interesting political slant. I was like, oh, where's this? Where's this going here? <laughs> but yeah, you, you never know what's happening. Uh, live radio there yesterday. That was a good conversation there with Salk and Brock, and then so coming up at eight thirty. We do have Jerry DePoto, but they also taped that yesterday because uh, Salk, before he headed out for a couple days, and wanted to get that done. So you will hear that, but don't be confused when you hear Salk's voice again. Uh, that's coming up at 8.30, and we do have Trey Brown coming up at 7.30. I know Brock wants to get back into that Pac-12 discussion. We'll talk about that a little bit more when he joins us, but what do you guys think about that? The, the Pac-12, the news is certainly not great. On the surface, it doesn't appear like the Pac-12 has much leverage right now with the defection of Colorado. Sure, Colorado in itself is not the worst thing, but could it signal the start of the end? And that's what it kind of feels like with Arizona and Arizona State, uh, their board of regents for the Arizona State school system meeting tonight at six o'clock. If you meet, you announce that you have an agenda item that says to discuss potential legal and future of athletics. That's pretty ominous. And what Brock said it like last week that Arizona is what the Pac-12 hinges on, which is wild to think about because Arizona from a football athletic standpoint isn't much. And we know football drives realignment. But, yeah, they're going to be the next wave, the next shift. And then I think if you're the Pac-12, you got to get some leadership and say, do we lock in? Do we stay strong, stay together, find this group that will maybe bring up a San Diego State and a Boise State and find teams that solidify this conference as the Big 12 did with what seemed like at the time lesser schools in Cincinnati and UCF and Houston, teams that have been kind of working their way up through the group of five. So they have done that. And now the Big 12 in position where they went and they poached a team from the Pac-12. You know, in that Dan Wetzel article and, and a couple of things that we've talked about, Everyone was saying how it's completely flipped where about a decade ago it was all right. The Pac-12 
can now crush the Big 12. They have the ability, they have the means to really poach the Big 12 and solidify their place as one of the power conferences. Texas ended up not going to the Pac-12. The Big 12 stayed intact. And now uh, a decade plus later, it's the Big 12 that might have just unfurled the final piece of spool on this yarn that's holding the Pac-12 together. And now everyone's kind of circling. Because if the Big 10 does decide to come in, I think it's over. Like the Big 10... They, their schools are getting $60 million per year in TV money. You can't compete with that if you're the Pac-12. The Pac-12 doesn't have a, a TV rights deal. And if you are these schools, for the sake of posterity, I think you have to consider it. You know, it would, it would stink. It would really be unfortunate to not have a conference here on the West Coast based with all these schools because geography does play a big part in conferences now and are used to, and now it doesn't. But if you're Washington and you get that opportunity... You have to do it. You know what's the yeah. the other bummer is when we we talked about this a little bit. I guess with the Oilers and the Texans, when you, when a team moves or when a franchise leaves somewhere, there's typically such a year of pain where they, they've just tanked and they've given everything away and the the product is bad. And that's not the case. I know that this is different. The shifting isn't necessarily the moving out of town, but it the Pac-12 football future looks good. Like it's in good shape. It's just not from a media standpoint. Yeah, USC's, I mean, going to be the team to watch. And now they're leaving. Washington has the chance to have one of its best seasons in a long time. Oregon State's going to be there. I mean, yeah, Brock you know has I mean? talked about they're this. Not, they're not garbage. Uh, right, right. The Pac-12 is going to have one of its, has the chance as a conference to have one of its best season in years. Yeah. And now it's on the threshold of maybe breaking up. So yeah, it's tough. It's a very unfortunate situation. But Brock is as plugged in as anyone around this. So he will talk about this a, a little bit more. Uh, we have a lot of Seahawks to get to Trey Brown's joining us at 7:30, and we'll dig into some stuff that Clint Hurt said about the run defense which still is the big story of this Seahawks season for all the offensive additions for all the excitement around what year two with Geno Smith as a starter can be with the addition of Jackson Smith and Jigba and the opportunity to take that next step the defense and the run defense in particular remains that big question. So Clint Hurt had some things to say that we'll dive into about the run defense. And then after Trey Brown uh, kind of joins us and has some insight, I'm sure on this cornerback competition might be uh, another interesting path that the Seahawks defense can take in the secondary. So that's also something to ponder that we'll get into as well. And then the Mariners had a big series win, and they have a huge opportunity to continue to make up ground in the wild card race. So all of that is coming up as we continue along here. This is the Brock and Salk Show on Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app.